Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to the LSE for those who are from uh, outside. Uh, for those students who are here. Well, wait just a minute, Howard. Are we actually going to start on time here? I think we are. That's, uh, I'm impressed with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, no, this is, uh, we, we like to start on time uh, here if we, if we possibly can. Um, so welcome to uh, everybody, and particularly, of course, uh, welcome to uh, Bill Gates Sr., who's uh, on a, a fleeting visit to the uh, UK, uh, but has managed to find some time to uh, come and talk to us. Uh, I explained to him that this was exam time, and so I'm rather alarmed to see quite a lot of people who look like students. Um, the stewards will take your name afterwards uh, and find out why you haven't been in the library. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I hope that uh, this uh, is a uh, useful hour out from your studies if you're still engaged in exams. Now, um, we are uh, proud to uh, have Mr. Gates here. Um, just a few words of background about him. Uh, he is or was, I guess, a lawyer, but you know nobody's perfect, so uh, that will forgive him. Um, and he practiced uh, law in his own firm for many years, born in Washington State, where the Gates family have uh, been for some time. Uh, and, of course, in uh, recent years, has been co-chair of the Gates Foundation, which is one of the largest charitable foundations in the globe, uh, with assets, I don't know, perhaps he'll tell us exactly, but somewhere in the $35 billion range, uh, if you believe Wikipedia. Uh, and, of course, uh, the uh, uh, additional donation from Warren Buffett, which sort of adds to their firepower uh, over uh, a period. Uh, so let me perhaps begin by, by asking you a bit about the, the foundation, because that's uh, uh, what, you, um, what you mainly do uh, these days. I mean, what, what, are your, what, what is your role in the foundation, and what are your ambitions for what the foundation can do? Well, <coughs> excuse me. My title is, is, is co-chair, uh, which is uh, intentionally ambiguous as it can be. And uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sort of a senior gadfly, uh, would describe my role perfectly. I dip in here and there. Uh, I don't have any really uh, running responsibilities in terms of the management of the place. Uh, and my particular interest is the <clears throat> work that we're doing focusing on the reform renovation of the American public school system where you know we're not going to we're not going to bring it about but we want to be some part of the engine that does uh, really reform our, our public education system which is uh, clearly uh, not in good shape so what, what kind of programs do you run in American public schools? Well, uh, <clears throat> it's it just, there are things that people have identified, um, not just us, which are the, the fundamental flaws in the way the system has developed. Uh, <clears throat> for example, uh, 
just general dissatisfaction with the uh, performance of teaching, uh, with, the, with the quality of teaching. And so part of the project of reforming American education is to uh, create a, a more effective performance by, uh, by teachers. Hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, we're, we're outside of it. Uh, and trying to influence public policy, influence uh, uh, people in the profession, and we will, uh, in the course of this year, we'll, there will be some model projects that we'll be involved in uh, promoting and financing. Uh, but that's not your only educational interest, is it? You have other uh, student programs. Indeed, you have a program here in the UK with Cambridge. And do you that's want to tell right. us a bit no, about, that, that about is, how that it, works? What I described is a, a very narrow piece of the of what the foundation does. Uh, let me describe basically what the programs are. The, the largest program of the foundation is the Global Health Program, and it consumes just about half, maybe a touch over half of our of our annual uh, grant making. Then next after that comes an, a program that we call. Uh, global development, currently uh, very uh, active in trying to improve the product of, uh, of the agriculture and small farms, uh, particularly in Africa but, but, and in India. And that would be uh, something over half of the half that's left. And then we have a U.S. program, the largest element of which is the education thing that I just mentioned. We do indeed have, I figure that uh, each uh, September we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000 uh, students going to school on our ticket. Okay. That's mainly in the U.S. or also? Uh, that, would, that would include the, the Cambridge people, uh, but uh, other than the cohort at Cambridge, yeah, that would all be in the United States. Yeah. Um, so. Tell us a bit about the, uh, the, the Buffett connection, because this was quite a striking thing, that um, uh, Warren Buffett <coughs> should decide uh, that for his major charitable effort, he would not do a Buffett Foundation, but he would do it through the Gates Foundation. I mean, how did, how did that come about, and how does that relationship with Warren Buffett work? Well, uh, uh, from the creation, uh, it goes like this. There was a woman in Seattle who was the editorial uh, uh, page editor for the Washington Post. And uh, uh, she was a great friend of Margaret, of uh, Kay Graham, uh, the owners of the Post, and of uh, Warren, who was uh, on the board of the Washington Post. And she was having Warren and Kay visit her uh, on a summer, uh, for a summer week. And place in, uh, uh, on one of the islands just off the shore in, in Seattle. And so she called, we were acquainted with, uh, her name was Meg Greenfield, that name may mean something to some of you. Mm. She called, said she had these summer guests and would we give them a day at, the, at the, our summer retreat? And uh, we said, sure, uh, these are very... <laughs> These are the kind of people you'd say sure to because they're, <laughs> you know, they're just absolutely wonderful, uh, wonderful people doing important things. And 
So <laughs> we called our son and said, you know, this was the 4th of July week and it was going to start on a Friday. And, you know, we're going to have uh, Kay Graham and Warren Buffett with us for the weekend. Why don't you uh, come out on Friday and join uh, the fun? And he said, Mother, Friday is a work day. I will work on Friday. And I'll come out later. And <laughs> it, he doesn't always not make up his mind differently. He did change his mind when we talked a little more to him. I said, Warren Buffett, well, me. Okay, so he finally showed up. He showed up at noon on the Friday of Fourth of July weekend. I, I realize I'm not answering your question, but anyway, I will get it. Anyway, uh, and it was it was just remarkable how absolutely immediately they hit it off. And, uh, the conversation they were they were both thinking down the same line had. Uh, uh, somewhat similar experiences, of course, my son nowhere near the experience of uh, of Mr. Buffett, and incidentally, we're talking about this would be early nineties ninety one ninety two in there and so they had they struck up this wonderful relationship in that setting. They were there for the whole weekend, and they had an awful lot to talk about and it and it went uh, it went from there. Uh, and now uh, Bill is on the, the board of directors of the Berkshire Hathaway Company, which is Warren's uh, company, and they're they're the best. They're they're just the best of friends, and it it just arises from one of those things you've all had the experience where you have you meet somebody and you have this very copacetic relationship that grows out of the meeting, and uh, this is uh, one of those for those two fellows. Hmm. But then that. Uh I read the, the biography of uh, Warren Buffett recently, the Snowball uh, book, which kind of describes the, the Buffett side of this. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, quite, uh, quite well. Very detailed. Uh, yes. Yeah, more detailed <laughs> than anyone could possibly <laughs> want, I have to tell you about the book. But, um, uh, <laughs> but what, it, what it doesn't really, I mean, uh, what it doesn't really quite explain is why, because using your personal wealth you know, for charitable purposes. It's usually a pretty personal thing, and people ah. typically decide to, to set up something with programs targeted in their own, and yet that's a remarkable thing for someone to hand that side of their life over to another foundation yeah. in someone else's name, which is quite surprising. Yeah, I, yeah, it was a very polite way of explaining to me that I didn't answer your question, and I'm sorry <laughs> about that. Uh, how do you explain something like that? It, it, I mean, it's just an unusual thing to do. I, I, I don't yeah. know that it's unprecedented, but I don't know of any precedent for it, particularly, uh, heaven knows there's no precedent for it at the dollar level that we're talking about in uh, in Warren's case. But he, uh, oh, he's, you know, he's no fool, and uh, he, he, he didn't want to uh, establish a long-term foundation uh, of his own. And he liked seeing what Bill and Melinda were doing, and just decided that uh, uh, he'd throw in uh, throw in with it. At the same time, uh, you may recall, he created he, he gave a fairly large sum to each of his three children for their foundations, and then the the balance to the Gates Foundation, uh, some ten billion of which uh, came in the first gift, and then 
subsequently as he passes on, when the rest of his estate will come to the to the Gates mm. Foundation to be used in whatever way the Gates Foundation uh, decides to use it. One thing that, uh, from our point of view, that the thing we need to be cautious about, we can't accept money from people who have limitations on what they want the money we can't make any commitment to anybody for any period of time over for what we're going to do with something but with Warren that was that was easy he was perfectly happy to have it be that way mm. so that's really added to the firepower of the foundation it has considerably. quite significantly yes the first gift uh, he prescribed that we uh, dole it out in 10 years which is uh, an addition to the typical formula for an American uh, private foundation to typically the American private foundation functions on an expenditure of five percent of its of its uh, capital yeah. each year but this was that in ten years that first gift will be gone without any reference to five percent or anything else okay now the um, uh, you've recently published a a book called uh, Showing Up for Life, Thoughts on the Gifts of a Lifetime, which has quite a bit about uh, uh, your early life and the influences on you. But I guess one thing that uh, everybody's bound to be interested in is um, the way your life changed as a result of your son, because uh, he's kind of an unusual guy. And um, uh, so how, how, did, how did that happen? When did you realize that... Um, you had on your hands uh, a son who was really quite uh, exceptional because, of course, I guess at a certain point he must have been a bit trying, you know, dropping out of Harvard. That doesn't usually please parents uh, a great deal. How did you think about that and when did it occur to you that maybe he was uh, onto something? Well, uh, <clears throat> for a long period of time, uh, from his very youngest years to uh, the time he was in in high school, it was just a matter of having a child that was uh, obviously mentally, uh, you know, in the in the top tier. He was a very good student. Uh, he was an inveterate reader. He had a huge curiosity, uh, and uh, but you know, this was a heck of a smart kid. Was basically the what we knew about it, uh, and, and the. <laughs> Then he then he got into the software thing. As a consequence, the high school that he went to had a had a, a very uh, primitive uh, computer, which he and some of the other uh, young people there got completely fascinated by, and uh, it sent him in the direction of of doing software. And so, as he he went to Harvard, and as you suggest, uh, Howard, he uh, he was had been there for a year, and, and he decided that he needed to take time off and go to where uh, the his the company was working. He and Paul Allen, whose name I think was not be stranger to you, uh, were sort of uh, colleagues in this. And Paul had gone to this company in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which was the first creator of a small, uh, of a laptop, and they had told the, the owner of that company that they had software that he, he that they might want, he might want to have an operating 
system, for example, and languages and that kind of thing. And the guy was exalted to have somebody do that. So Paul went to Albuquerque, got very busy doing this work. And Bill uh, told us one time, you know, I think, Mom and Dad, I, I, I'm going to take a semester off and go to Albuquerque and help Paul. And, you know, well, okay, okay, okay. And then he did that, and he went back to school, and we felt relieved about that. But then after one more semester, he decided he needed to go to Albuquerque again. And then the, we were beginning to get apprehensive because, come on now, we are parents of college students. We're not parents of high school graduates. This, these kids are supposed to go to college and get a degree. Uh, but we were, we were apprehensive the second time around, and of course we were right. He, he never did go back to Harvard, uh, except I am going to answer your question this time. But, <laughs> but one of my great life experiences was just a couple of years ago at the Harvard commencement where Bill was giving the speech. And uh, I was sitting there sort of in the front row where all this was happening. He got up to start his speech. He, he looked down and, at, at me and he said, by the way, Dad, remember I told you I would come back and get my degree. <laughs> and he was getting this honorary degree from Harvard. But, you know, it, the way businesses work, as you would all know, uh, there's no point in time where you, where you suddenly see some uh, phenomenon. In the, you know, it's a thing slowly but surely this software business that he and Paul started uh, with this little company in Albuquerque that that it was it was going to succeed I mean he would he had license agreements with people and he was hiring people and so it, that's a, to answer your question that's about the time that it uh, appeared to us that you know this is this is really something that's going on here now still uh, the fact that it got to the place where it did is something that, you know, just you, you just couldn't possibly have anticipated the unbelievable success that he's, uh, that he's had with it. Did he ask you to back him financially? Uh, we, at one point, uh, he, he got into an argument uh, with this company in Albuquerque, and uh, uh, there was a there was a question about what to do about the basic licensing agreement, and the guy that ran this company thought he didn't like the fact that they were selling software to other, now there are other computer manufacturers around, and they had made sales to others, and the guy who ran the company in Albuquerque thought that was, he didn't like that. So uh, he started a, uh, an effort to exercise domain over the software which had been a license to him and it, it got to be a significant court battle and uh, so the money stopped coming in and so his mother and I uh, volunteered to uh, loan him some funds to, to keep the company going and he said well give this thing another month or two dad and sure enough the, the decision came down it was totally favorable to him. He got the software and clear title and they went off. So, no. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have not done anything to, uh, to finance the company. Hmm. 
But your, uh, I'm what I'm going to do, by the way, is open this out to, to questions from, from you in just a moment. Let me just, just ask one or two more so you can be thinking about what you want to ask. Um, I mean, the, 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 uh, the book uh, is, is primarily about your philanthropic activities and, uh, and your experiences. Um, I mean, what, what's your view on the, uh, the, the obligations uh, of wealth, if you like, um, in terms of uh, what people should do with great wealth once they've, once they've got it? I mean, you don't really lecture other people in this book, but I know that in other areas you have taken positions on the obligations of people. How, would, how do you describe that? How, how do you think about what people should do when they find themselves with a, a large fortune, as your family has done? Uh, I, thank you for asking that question. I'd love to tell you how I feel about that, and it's this, that you <clears throat> ask somebody why they're so rich, or ask somebody why somebody else is so rich. And they all, you talk about uh, intelligence, hard work, uh, and uh, isn't that wonderful what he or she has done? Uh, uh, and I, you know, I think that is an insufficient inquiry about how come that happened. Because the how come it happened is because, among other things, you were not born in Ghana. You were born maybe in the UK or maybe in the United States. You were born in a place where there's an orderly world where you can count on something happening tomorrow. You can count on, uh, well, even as precise a thing as the uh, sale of uh, investment interest in, in your operation, that kind of thing, which is only happens in countries which are organized, have a good legal system, police force, all that kind of thing. So. That's the thing to start with. Anybody, uh, a rich American, owes a huge portion of that wealth to the society in which he or she grew up. And it just to me, that's just a simple proposition. It's, it, anybody's business success is to start with the function of standing on the shoulders of the generation before which you've created uh, facilities, created technology, uh, and generated educated people to, to work for you. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I take, I, I characterize that as a debt. You know, not legally, but any other way you want to look at it, it's a debt. And the idea that when that person passes on, I, I'm getting into the a state tax thing now, uh, that it, it is the, the appropriate time for a payment back to society of, uh, of the comfort, joy, and, uh, and uh, everything else that goes with having been rich. I also, as part of that, suggest uh, that it, it certainly is true, and it, I, I certainly would not anything different about my own son's experience, that it is a function of intelligence and wit and uh, imagination, energy, uh, which creates those kinds of, uh, of wonderful human stories. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is that whether you got rich and uh, ended your life with $20 million or $10 million, 
or some billions of dollars is, in my judgment, totally disconnected from this business of wit and energy and labor. It's, it's a function of pure, right place, right time, good luck. And so there's, there's the notion that this is mine and that and people should leave me alone with it to do whatever I want is, uh, to me, uh, an inaccurate description of the circumstances. The circumstances are, one, you grew up in a society that made this possible, two, you were damn lucky, and then the third notion, by the way, focusing particularly on the death tax thing, is that I don't think anybody could spell out a really important reason why a wealthy person should be able to, to give all of that funds to their own to their children. What is the societal value that grows from that practice? It, if anything, it's a it's it's a negative. And uh, so, the perfect time for this reckoning that I'm suggesting to occur is when someone leaves uh, uh, this earth and uh, and has a lot of money left. It's a great time for society to to get a substantial share of it. And you co-authored a book on uh, estate taxes. Yes, that's correct. Uh, what's the particular specific proposition that you make in that? Well, uh, it's very that we were in the midst of a huge political argument in our country about whether or not there should be an estate tax, and it was uh, it was actually uh, revised to such an extent that it would go out of existence. Uh, but uh, and that was the reason for the book was to right. to try to generate some rethinking about this really horrible thing that we were about to do to ourselves, and uh, so and the book just simply. Is a lot of pages to set forth the same general proposition that I laid on you over the last hour and a half, or however long I was talking. <laughs> well, let me open it up to uh, to others now, and there are some uh, microphones around which I hope you can uh, use. So, uh, yeah, let's go straight to uh, the middle here. Thanks. Yeah, and I've seen you too, and I've seen you. Can you hand that along? Thank you very much you for give your, your Give your comments. name. I know, I know who you are, but... <laughs> My name is Muzaffar Khan. Um, I'm an alumni of um, LSE, and I've just uh, written a book on public education, actually. Oh, um, I wouldn't. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically about the foundation, because I was looking to set up a foundation a few years ago. Does your foundation have a sunset policy, or is it supposed to be set up for perpetuity? No. A wonderful question. Uh, <clears throat> you've just asked a question which uh, led to exactly different conclusions on my part and on my son's part. Uh, uh, I'm uh, I'm a strong believer in the perpetuity of the private foundation. I think there's great value in, in anticipating it going on virtually uh, without end. I, the, I, the examples. Uh, would be led by the Rockefeller for uh, Foundation, for example. On the other hand, uh, 
Bill is of the view, and, and Warren Buffett, by the way, that uh, it, it, foundation shouldn't go on forever. Uh, the founders aren't there anymore. The founders' ideas aren't uh, in place anymore. It's a bunch of people they don't know. Uh, maybe some family members uh, sprinkled in, but uh, the, the, this is this is something that should be uh, employed and uh, distributed. Uh, and uh, in the case of our foundation, it's uh, 50 years after the death of the last of uh, Bill and Melinda to survive, and then the foundation will be uh, terminated. And how I would love to be the co-chair in that last two or three years when that <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, so there's, this is a fundamental argument in, in a, uh, uh, the American approach to uh, private philanthropy as to the difference between perpetuity and termination thanks uh, next one over here thank you how did you and your wife nurture your children's talent? I'm sorry. How did you and your wife nurture your children's talent? Well, uh, their mother was a person who grew up in a in, in a pretty well disciplined family situation, uh, and with but her parents were uh, particularly well educated people who were had a had a raised her very effectively and as, as a result of that experience she was that kind of a mother and uh, I, I think w that was the major contribution to uh, them growing up and being competent human beings uh, and, I, and I'm not claiming anything special uh, for what we did uh, and to a large extent uh, you know the <laughs> as with getting rich uh, having successful children is there's an element of luck in it too. But uh, anyway, he, uh, they, they had a, a, a very effective mother who who uh, made it possible for them to grow up, become uh, independent people at an early age, uh, and to be conscientious about the society in which they uh, they prospered. Uh, there was one down. Did you have your hand up? Yeah. 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 Question is uh, the mic is coming. Thanks. Part of my question has already been answered by what you just said. But one uh, one question is how is the, what is the attitude of the foundation to work with others on particular projects? I'm uh, thinking of, for instance, what Mohammed Yunus is doing in Bangladesh to help small companies to grow out of pov poverty. <coughs> Do you join? projects like that or does the Bill Gates and Belinda Gates Foundation only do their own projects and one other side question is how does Belinda come into this and um, what is her background in, in being involved? Okay. Uh, answer ladies first. Melinda uh, <laughs> is a, uh, a very intelligent uh, competent person. She has a talent for public speaking and she has a a huge heart and so she is uh, it's a partnership and she is every bit as involved in the work and the decision-making at the foundation as is Bill and she's well qualified uh, in that regard uh, 
I've lost. The first question was whether you work with others, and specifically the question about ah, Mohammed Yunus you. and Bangladesh. Don't get old. It's no. Fun. <laughs> uh, I, I just can't begin, I think, to get across to you the extent to which collaboration is uh, uh, the indispensable ingredient of what we do. Uh, uh, grantees, uh, of course, but uh, in a lot of, a, a huge number of cases, there is co-contribution from other philanthropies, the Rockefeller Foundation, and, and we are uh, almost literally partners in the work in agricultural reform in Africa. Uh, and it's, it's a very natural thing in philanthropy for that to happen. Part of it is that you know it increases the funding, and part of it is it increases the intelligence that's brought to bear on what you're what you're trying to do. And these things are you know they're a huge part of the time spent of the personnel involved in the foundation work is analyzing how to get from here to there uh, in places where. Uh, there's inadequate infrastructure, inadequate personnel, that sort of thing. So the collaboration among uh, philanthropies is just as natural as it can be. And I, 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 I couldn't, don't know that I could give you the number of uh, the, the important collaborators that we have in the, in the stuff that we do. Uh, question in the second row here. Um, there it is. Yeah, and then I'll get you next. Uh, wait for the mic. That's it. With respect to the younger generation or the up-and-coming generations, I'm concerned about uh, making them aware of the complexity of global economics, and they have to solve a lot of serious problems in the coming years when we're gone. Um, what's your answer to that? Well, I completely agree with you. Uh, uh, you know, there's this, what I would describe as marvelous phenomenon going on of, of uh, sort of the one world thing. I, we, I, I think that there is a significant change of attitude over the last 20 years, at least where I live, in our, how we feel about people in foreign countries. Where, and I, I think that we've, we've a good many and a growing number of, of uh, our people are deciding that those people are as much our neighbors as the people across the street, that this is a, uh, thank you, Howard, this is a, this is one world. And uh, it, it isn't just a matter of strategy, of, you know, uh, defense, uh, uh, opportunities or protection or uh, any kind of economic contribution to what uh, we may be doing in our country. It, it, it's a matter of just, I mean, those, those folks involved here are human beings and they have friends, they have children who love them, uh, and we, we simply must pay attention to that and we must do something about it. Now, you know, and when you ask, when you speak of the world economy, I su 
suspect you're talking about more than just the philanthropic activities which are going on. Uh, and of course, and in, and in that area, that of course the huge thing is is the contributions that governments make. All the philanthropy in the world doesn't come within a, uh, a, a close second to uh, what nations are providing in the way of foreign aid. But uh, just real quickly, it it's it, it seems to me that. The problem for this generation of London School students to figure out is how to have a more organized world. Uh, you know, there are things happening. The World Trade Organization and this business of of not allowing, you know, promoting free trade. Uh, uh, the G8, the G20 people from other countries getting together to try to make decisions about how to organize things in the world. Uh, the need for, and this is outside of economy I guess really, but the need for an effective police force and not having Yanks and Brits going off to places like Afghanistan to uh, uh, to make, to, to participate in a war against a, uh, a segment of that society. Uh, uh, the, the, it's a huge, huge undertaking, it, and it, I, I think that the one positive element that exists is that, and I, I, I'm quite certain you would agree with me that there is a growing, as I've already said, sense of, of uh, the need for cooperation, the need for treating people in foreign countries as our neighbors. Uh, we're all in this together. Uh, we're going to go down there. Sorry, we've got, I've got a forest of hands, so I'm not going to give anyone a second game. I'm going to go down to here, and then I'm going to take a few upstairs. Thanks. Thank you. I'm uh, Charlie. Um, do you think, uh, uh, consi considering the uh, vast sums that, uh, of, uh, vast amounts of money that uh, your foundation is giving away, and uh, uh, with uh, the um, high costs, or arguably high costs, of the Microsoft's products, do you? Do you see the foundation as a means of uh, wealth redistribution? Do, do you see explicitly the foundation as a, as a wealth redistribution mechanism, given people paying high costs for Microsoft products and then their money being recycled? <laughs> well, the, 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 let's be clear about the fact that Microsoft products don't have anything to do with what the foundation is, uh, is, is doing or not doing. Uh, I mean, it, it's totally independent of the Microsoft Corporation. It does owe a little of its history to the Microsoft Corporation <laughs> and its products, of course. Uh, let me get... Uh, I, 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 for some reason, I hesitate to give affirmative response to that question. Uh, uh, redistribution uh, is sort of a negative concept. To me, I, I do, but I do. I'm clear about the fact that we need governments, uh, and perhaps at some point, some worldly organization that thinks in terms of being sure that everybody has an opportunity, that everybody has the opportunity, and that they're not 
disadvantaged by the circumstance of who their parents happen to be or uh, the neighborhood and that the, that and that that that's not redistribution that's that's creating infrastructure facilities universities where everybody has an equal opportunity to do that. Now that I know that's very very pie in the sky but that that's I think that the the wealth of the wealthy nations needs to be focused on the business of making an opportunity for everybody. There's a woman uh, third row in the top there, yep, in sort of black, yep. Hello, my name's Sophie Hartman. I'm a lecturer in global public health and disease at City University. Um, I was just wondering, you can trace where every penny or cent that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation goes to. But as you increase in influence, I was wondering how you're going to involve the states, governments, global health actors within the decision-making processes of the foundation over the next 10, 50 years. Sorry. How, how are you going to, given your expanding influence in global health, how are you going to involve governments and other actors in the global health environment in the decision-making processes of the foundation? Well, uh, maybe the answer to that is not at all. Uh, part of part of our decision making is a function of what what the real pos real and practical possibilities are, and, and certainly that is to some extent measured by or, or created by what uh, what countries are doing uh, uh, in terms of the. Uh, the problem of the egregious inequity in health delivery in, in the in the world, uh, and we we would fall in behind uh, things like that. But the the decision making uh, will be by the uh, by the trustees with the aid of a of a very prominent advisory committee, which is persons expert and and on the ground experts in in the in the global health arena uh, and that's that's how we'll make up our minds what to do to a large extent so far our decisions of what to do in global health is a matter of just measuring what the what the what the worst impact diseases are and focusing where we see any practical possibility for dealing with it on those particular subjects thanks this one uh, yeah just to the right of, of you Hi, uh, my name's Tim Nolan, I'm just a member of the public. Um, building a little bit on the last question, um, I know that um, your son has publicly stated that the foundation wants to um, listen to um, as many people as possible, particularly experts, um, to decide how the money is spent um, from the foundation, which is a, a great aim. However, are you and other members of the trustee board aware of um, some of the concerns about transparency of how the money is spent. Notably, a recent article in The Lancet here in the UK which was asking for some increase in transparency. A, are you aware of it? And B, what, what are your thoughts about it? Notably? Uh, in the, there's a, there was an article uh, in a medical magazine called The Lancet. Ah, uh, yes, okay, here, I know about, about it. About uh, pressing for more transparency. What's your view on that? Well, uh, 
we try to be transparent, uh, uh, spend a lot of money uh, doing uh, reports, making literature about the foundation uh, available, uh, and we, you know, we're, we, when people write and ask us things, we answer, uh, I think, uh, in, in frank and open way. Uh, we have, we acknowledge, I think, quite uh, readily uh, our mistakes, uh, of which there haven't been all too many so far, but the things that we're involved in are such that it, you don't find out if you've made a mistake on the second day. It takes maybe the sixth year or somewhere out there, you figure out, well, we might have done that a little better if we'd been a little smarter. But uh, I, I think we'll, I think the life of the foundation will be marked by people asking that question. And uh, I'm not sure we'll ever fully satisfy the tendency to say we ought to know more about what you're doing and why. So look, look up here, the uh, woman on the side there, you have sort of blondish, yeah? Hi. <laughs> Hi, my name is Christine. I'm a staff member here at LSE. Um, I understand that the foundation does a lot of work with malaria, um, and I was just wondering, there's been uh, quite a public silence about counterfeit drugs and the role that this has uh, in, in malaria treatment and also drug resistance. So I was wondering if there is anything that the foundation is planning to do, uh, any projects or, or any public statements that, that might be coming forth about this. Sorry, it was um, a question specifically about malaria, where oh. there's a lot of concern about uh, counterfeit drugs and whether the foundation has any plans in that area to try to deal with that problem. What, what was what drugs? Counterfeit drugs. Oh, counterfeit drugs. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I, I wouldn't think of us as being involved in something of that kind. Uh, uh, I don't, we wouldn't know how to go about it, as a matter of fact. I mean, we're, we're certainly concerned about malaria, and we have a lot of enthusiasm for the scientific work that's being done. You know, there's some rather promising, uh, well, A, rather promising vaccine uh, that's appearing on the scene. So uh, we, we, en we enthuse about that. Uh, but, you know, dealing with counterfeit drugs is a problem for policemen. Uh, one behind, uh, Mambit, two, two behind, yeah. Thank, thanks very much. Thanks very much for the conversation today. It's been fantastic and very inspiring. Um, you were talking about um, your, your attitude to the estate tax, which I think is very sensible, and I wish more people felt like that. Does the foundation or yourself personally do anything to actually look at how we can increase the amount of philo philanthropy um, in the US and in the world globally, because that would surely be a wonderful way of actually making sure that the foundation doesn't have a sunset clause and actually carries on in perpetuity. Does the foundation work also to promote philanthropy by others, if you like? And he referred positively to your uh, work. About, yeah. uh, thank you. That, yes. Uh, we uh, uh, discreetly uh, call upon uh, folks with major wealth uh, uh, talk about what we're doing. We're not we're not soliciting funds, but we we seeing what Bill and Melinda have done uh, lead us to think that 
others in the similar financial category uh, might might well uh, elevate uh, their interest in those kinds of activities and uh, uh, that that's something we are promoting it's not the kind of thing you buy an ad on the front page of the London Times or the back page or wherever the ads are but uh, it's discreet uh, and uh, I guess I don't know how effective it's yet, but we're we're very we feel very strongly that people in position like Bill and Melinda's should be in the game the way we are. Uh, third row, yeah, man with a tie, black shirt. Uh, this my name is Vishnu. I'm an alumni of LSE. Uh, this question has nothing to do with the foundation. It's more to do with your legal practice. So uh, when uh, now you are, you have established a well-known legal practice uh, international law firm called KNL Gates. Now, when Bill Gates was growing up, did you think that perhaps it would be nice if my son joined me in legal practice? And looking back, do you think that uh, it's better that he did not join my legal practice? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to laugh at. I'm so sorry. He, really, uh, <laughs> he referred to your uh, legal practice, the Gates ah. uh, practice, and uh, whether you uh, regret that. Uh, son Bill didn't join the legal firm uh -huh. instead of doing Microsoft. <laughs> I can't think of anything I regret about my son Bill. <laughs> how, how could I possibly regret his not being a lawyer? Look at, <laughs> look at what he's doing. Uh, you know, it's, 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 really, it's really quite marvelous. Uh, but uh, as a matter of fact, when he did, when he went to college, there was some possibility that he would go on to law school, but then uh, he became overwhelmed by the software opportunities. One that got away. Woman right at the end here, yeah. Hi, um, my name is Anna. I work for a human rights organization. I just wanted to ask you, as a philanthropist, how you come to make the decision about where you will put your support and your funds. Do you decide to spread it as widely as you can amongst your interests and your, and your passions, or, or do you think you'll be most effective concentrating in one area? Hmm. Well, uh, we, have, we have people who work at the foundation who know an awful lot about uh, the subjects that we're concerned with. Uh, and as it, as it appears possible to or add to the program some new goal or, or uh, uh, objective. Uh, we talk about it a lot. Uh, we we try to stay in things that are some some reasonable proximity to the things we're already doing, uh, and uh, we get outside we get outside help. Recently, where the U.S. program. Uh, got really started up and going. There was a long uh, deliberation about uh, what, it, what it might do. And uh, you know, fairly obviously, the problem in US public education came to the fore. And we concluded that that was uh, an important thing to do. Uh, in the global health area, uh, we had been involved in uh, maternal uh, and neonatal health uh, in the world at large in the, in, 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 on a global basis. 
and had sort of pulled away from that. It was we weren't sure that there was a practical way for us to to deal with that particular problem. But then, more recently, people who work in that area have seen how, what a really bad situation that is, and the the enormous amount of unnecessary hardship and even and death that's occurring in in the world of childbirth and and uh, and newborns. So we decided to go back into it just because it's such a serious problem. So I, I think we're mainly guided by something related to what we're already doing and something serious. The seriousness is a big thing. I'm going to take a man in the middle there. Yep. Sort of phone sweater on. Mr. Gates, um, what's your perfect day? If you can choose any day you want, and have you had it? <laughs> what is your perfect day if you could choose anything to do that you wanted, and have you had that day yet? Well, I have quite a lot of those days. And it's, <laughs> uh, uh, I will say that uh, uh, Tuesday at Cambridge University uh, would, would be right up there with the perfect day. To, to see uh, 240 or 50 graduate students working in a huge array of projects and, and learning, uh, getting advanced degrees, uh, and with such an obvious uh, concern for the world uh, into which they will graduate, uh, a pretty exhilarating day. Uh, I could spend a lot of days like that. I, uh, it, it's just so gratifying to, to see that. I'm going to take one more because we're nearly at the end. Uh, I'm going to take you right at the back there. Um. Thank you. Uh, Sebastian Thomas from Legal Week, actually. I was wondering, um, your background as a lawyer, yeah. how does that impact on the work you do or you did in setting up the foundation? Uh, Precious little, uh, you know. I I didn't do any of the legal work. We have we have a pretty good sized law firm inside the foundation, as a matter of fact. But uh, you know, I th I think that there is uh, a value from a legal education, uh, independent of whether or not you're practicing any law or doing any generating legal results for people. It, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, educational experience uh, and it, it, it sharpens your, your uh, criticism, your ability to, to, to see what, what really works, what doesn't, uh, to understand uh, uh, how to deal with disagreement and uh, uh, negotiation, the kinds of things that uh, lawyers do as part of their profession. So I'm, I have a, a huge sense of gratitude that I uh, went to law school and was a lawyer for some 40 years, and I, uh, I'm proud of that profession. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to go longer. I'm, but anyway, uh, thank you. I appreciate your asking that question because I'm enthusiastic about the whole business of the of the practice of law. Thank you. We've, we started on time. We need to finish on time because 
Bill's got a flight to catch. We are very grateful that you made a window available in what may not be your perfect day, but we hope it's uh, <laughs> um, not a bad one. <laughs> not a bad one, Kurt. Uh, and it's only lunchtime, so uh, there's time for it to improve as well. Um, so thank you very much uh, to all of you for coming. Thank you for a very interesting set of questions, and particularly thank you for your very frank and interesting replies. Thank you, Howard. My pleasure.